this section, abiding in Christ's love and return. Let me ask you two simple questions, all right? Does Jesus love you? Yes, all right. One of you got it, the rest, you're not sure, you're going to learn that today, okay? How about this, is Jesus coming back again? Yes, all right, so more of y'all are on that one. That's good, we're getting somewhere. So that's the whole Sunday school lesson for the next two weeks, all right? It's the Lord loves us, and we are to love the Lord, because if we have experienced His love by trusting in Him, and He has poured out His love upon us, and we have been born again, adopted into His family, we will have a natural love for the things of God. Uh, those who are not spiritual, and I'm not talking about the pseudo-spiritual garbage that we put out in our churches or our bookstores. I'm talking about those who don't know the Lord at all. Right? They are just temporal, physical people who, who have no spiritual knowledge or understanding because they don't want to. They think they do, but really they don't want God. They want spiritualism or religiosity or churchianity and those sorts of things. What we're going to be looking at is that those who are truly in Christ and have that assurance of knowing the Lord will have a real love for him and will abide in him and what the fruit of that looks like, as well as the fruit of abiding in the Lord is trusting and believing and awaiting his return. Now, John's already mentioned this. We've dealt with it a little bit, and he's going to continue to do so because John is living in a day that he very well believes that Christ could come back any moment. It was John, mind you, who uh, knew and saw the crucifixion, who saw the risen Lord, who saw the Lord ascend unto the Father, who was there at Pentecost, who was there throughout the early start of the church, who, was, uh, who had received the Holy Spirit, who had seen these uh, visions and uh, all these things that God had done through him in his life and his ministry. It was this same John who believed the very words that were said that this same Jesus is going to come back the same way in the same place that he's leaving from now. And John believed it could happen because as we dealt with the past couple of weeks of all the Antichrist mentality and Antichrist teaching, the Gnosticism, the false teaching, the false assurance, the false conversions, all that was around him. Everything in the life of the church at this time was not all uh, you know, hunky-dory and peaches and cream. Folks were leaving the church because of false teachers and false doctrine and, and buying into that stuff, as well as the world around John is literally beginning to fall apart. The Roman Empire is uh, you know, only going to last so much longer. Jerusalem's about to get uh, destroyed and ransacked and all these other different things that are taking place. And, and the world outside of the church is caving in, but the world inside the church seems to be doing so. And if there's anyone or any book that we could certainly relate to today, it's First John. We have rampant false teaching. We have rampant false conversion and false assurance based upon works and not real salvation. We have a world around us that is bringing about persecution, is spewing false ideology and false religion, and is uh, desiring that we would leave the faith and to go enjoy this temporary world. Now here John brings us to this. We've dealt with all those issues, and he comes and he says, and we're going to look today at verses 28 and 29. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. He begins by saying, right, the, and now, little children. This is the same that he's dealt with in almost every passage. If you were to break up First John, it could probably be split up into all these different little uh, addresses that he gives of uh, dear children, little children, uh, brethren, or, or this, that, and the other. That's kind of the new section, if you will, almost in, in each part of the, the Scripture here. 
But as he writes them, he's showing his, his statehood, showing who he is, and he's writing to these little children in Christ who are needing to grow. We are not meant to remain babes in Christ. We are meant to grow. I've never seen an army go against another army that was an army of babies. It doesn't happen. Right? When the draft happens, you don't draft babies for war, do you? How about drafting toddlers? No. But dra- uh, drafting five and six-year-olds, which, I mean, might not be a, na- a bad idea. Throw a pair of scissors in their hand and tell them to run. They might. I mean, they could do some damage, I'm sure. box of crayons or some glue sticks, I don't know. But we draft men, don't we? Adults who are prepared to physically take on the fight and the battle. Now, how do they become adults? Because they grow. That's what the Christian is called to do. John here calls him and he says, first of all, with this command, abide in him. It is to continue in Christ. As we've addressed and as John has told us over and over and over again, and we've still got a few chapters left where he's going to continue to do the same thing, that he's saying, I'm not writing to you anything new, but he's reminding the readers to abide in the simple doctrines given to them at the beginning. What we need today is not something new. What we need today is not a better this or a better that or a flasher this or a flasher that. What we need is to read the Bible, study the Bible, believe the Bible, and live the Bible. And if we get that down, everything else will take care of itself. Every problem, every issue against one another, every, uh, every issue when it, uh, talking about church growth or disciple making, if we get to the things that have already been established, which is the Word of God, everything else will be perfectly fine. These simple doctrines go and cover everything that you need to live your Christian life, but you won't be able to live your Christian life if you're not eating and drinking from these simple doctrines. You can bring in all the sugar and all the sweet tarts you want of the world and all the self-help things and all, the, the, all of that stuff that's out there because that's mostly what's out there, right? You think about this. The produce section is in Food Line. It's a nice one over here, right? It's pretty nice. Some stuff's not as good as others, right? You can come on a bad day, a good day, all that stuff. And I'm not plugging or, or bashing Food Line. We shop there, okay? Right? We think about this, though. The rest of the store has an awful lot more bad stuff for you than just the produce section has produce, doesn't it? Right? There's a whole aisle that says cookies, snacks, chips. A whole aisle. Right? That's the good aisle, right? Most people, you, you eat your little buggy, you go, ah, oh, yeah, there's the produce, and where's the cookies, snacks, chips? And then you go a little bit further, and you even get to the other stuff, the candy, the chocolates. Then you move further, and you can get to the frozen section. And once you pass, you know, the milk and eggs and cheese and yogurt, and, which is, you know, nice, I guess, right? Then what do you get to? Pies and ice cream. A whole long section of pies and ice cream. You know how big that section is of just pies and ice cream and bread? It goes from that wall all the way across to that door, from that door to that door. And you know what top to bottom is? Pie and ice cream. Now, what have we discovered so far about Food Line and our just little quest that we've gone in our mind, which you already know because you've got the map laid out. You know where to go in the store. You know how you're going to get there. You know what you're going to get, right? We know more about the ice cream that's on sale than we do about the, the produce and the meat department, right? We, we focus on those things. What we see is that we are naturally drawn to eat and bring into our bodies that which is not so good for us, but what tastes real good. And so the Christian in John's day, as well as nearly, uh, we'd say 1,900 plus years later, here today, 
We want the ice cream, the pie, the candy, the snacks, the chips, the crackers, the cookies, the works. We want the, the bakery. We don't want the produce or the meat. We don't want what we need to be strong and to grow. We want what makes us sluggish. We want what tastes good, what feels good. And that is what John is writing to. He's saying, look, if you need anything, you need to simply abide in him. It, probably everyone today, and even later on in the, in the service where everyone else comes uh, to the 1030 service, right? The rest of y'all, right? Uh, the, what happens there, I could probably ask every service, is Jesus enough for your life? And I could say, raise your hand if Jesus is enough for your life. And it was, oh, raise my hand, yeah. Well, you can say, hey, stand up if Jesus is, is enough for your life. It's all that you need. Stand up, you know, right? But is he? We say the words, we raise the hands, we stand up or we do the movement to show, oh, yeah, yeah, everyone else is standing up, everyone else raised the hand, and certainly I believe in my own life that Jesus is enough, but yet, if we were to really look down in our life, Jesus isn't enough for us. He certainly is, and he's certainly sufficient, but the way in which we live our life, the way we think, the way we go about our shopping spiritually, if you will, shows that he is not what we really want. He is not all that we think we need. We think we need the everything else, spiritually speaking. We need the emotionalism. We need the this. We need the that. John says what you need is to abide in him. If we were to boil the Christian walk down, if you were to boil down the, the whole Christian life, your walk with Christ, it comes down to those three words, abide in him. There have been tremendous authors who have wrote uh, about uh, abiding in Christ, whole volumes about abiding in him. You can go back to the 1800s with some of the great writers and, and back further to the Puritans and see abide in him. Whole volumes about what it means. Now, you and I, I, I encourage you to read those things. But if you never apply what it means to abide in him, then you're not abiding. And I would say this too. And I wish that those who were there at the 1030 service were here now to hear it as well. Is that abiding in Christ is not just coming to church. You can abide in church without abiding in Christ. There's plenty of folks who do that. There's plenty of folks who abide in the church pews but don't have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They've got religion but not a relationship. They have church but they don't have Christ. And they barely have church to be honest. They love the idea of church and they love the idea of Christ refuse to truly bow their knee because Jesus is not enough for them but they would never say such no one in this room would ever say such but you know something if we're real real honest even for this preacher this morning we live our lives and I live my life sometimes as if he is not enough if we were to truly each one of us individually abide in him everything else would be perfectly fine. Everything else would take, take shape and take place. Here, what one man writes, Thatcher, he says, John restates the admonition to continue, which is the word meno, in him. And now situated in an eschatological context, as in 219, meno refers to faithfulness to the orthodox view of Jesus and his teaching. Let's go back to 219. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would in no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So who are those that are going to continue in him? 
It's those that abide in him. Childlike faith brings confidence in him. It is said the exhortation employs the present imperative of the verb to remain, indicating that the author has in mind here is an ongoing action. So when we say that I follow Christ, that doesn't mean I follow Christ between the business hours of 9.30 Sunday to whenever the preacher is done. That's not following and abiding Christ. Abiding and following and continuing Christ happens before you come to church, after you leave church, when you wake up tomorrow morning, when you go to sleep tonight. It is who you are. And too many of us have our identity in something else other than Christ, and that's where our issue really lies. The moment you are born again, you cease to be your own, you cease to be the devil's, you cease to be the words, and you are adopted and now have God as your father. Therefore, you live as a part of his family and your identity is now his name. What you do and how you live and the things that you uh, say and the places you go, it is by him, for him, through him. It ceases to be about us or what we want, what we wish. It is Christ in us. To continue in Christ, three things. And this is not on your booklet, I'm sorry. One, we need to abide in his word. Two, we need to abide in his walk. Walk as he walked. Three, we need to abide in his will, which comes back to walking in his word. And all of it is by faith, simply trusting and following him. Faith is always moving forward. Faith does not sit still for too long. You say, well, preacher, what about the verse that says, be still and know that I'm God? Absolutely, we should. And what it's dealing with is in our prayer life. What we often do is go, God, I wish you'd take care of this. And then we go and we try to take care of it ourselves. What be still and know God, know that he is God, is to be still spiritually in the sense that we stop when we go, I can't do this on my own. I, I can't be the best Christian on my own. It's Christ in me. I can't be the best this or the best that that I'd like to be. It's Christ through me. Be still and let him work. What happens often in our prayer life and in our walk with the Lord is that we're so busy telling him all about everything that he doesn't get too much of a word in, does he? Because we won't stop and read his word, listen, or be guided or directed by him. We guide our spiritual walk based upon where we put our nose or where our eyes go or where our feet take us and not based upon what the Lord is leading and doing. But faith here, as he's dealing with, it continues. Your faith did not stop after you got saved. Rather, it's to continue. Faith, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, is not just an imperative to be saved, but rather it is to continue to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ throughout all your days. It is to walk in him, to follow him, to abide in him. When Jesus told his disciples, follow me, what he was not saying is, follow me today. And then tomorrow, go do your own thing. He's saying, follow me. And they literally left their nets. They left their boats. They left their families. And they followed him every day. Where he went, they went. Where he slept, they slept. What he did, they did. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. That's what it means to have faith. The true faith is abiding in Christ continuously. It does not cease. This does not mean that we don't sin, but rather that we are slowly but surely growing in faith or faithfulness in him until the day of our death. Your Christian walk goes through ebbs and flows and ups and downs, doesn't it? I mean, let's just be honest, it does. There's some days even, even us pastors feel about as spiritual as a rock. Not even a spiritual rock either. 
right? Not even those pretty rocks sitting outside of church, right? Those are more spiritual than me some days. Let's just get real real. And what we have to understand is that truly abiding in Christ does not mean that we cease to sin. It does not mean that we cease to have discouragement or, or doubts or, or uh, upset times or days or difficult days or we just don't feel like it. But what this means is that continuously we go back to drink from the well that is Christ. It means that continuously, day by day, what we bring into our body, what we bring into our spiritual body is the bread of life. It means that we're intentional of what we do. We don't just, you know, try to go by with, you know, I, I cut on this or I did that. We, we get down into it. We have to make the intentional decision every day of if you're going to abide in Christ or not. And the way that you woke up this morning, you chose to put on the clothes that you wore, to drive yourself here, to either come to Sunday school or not, or to come to church or not, or, or to, you even decided this, that no one else can see your attitude coming into this place. We make those decisions in the issue at hand in our day, and in John's day, is that we don't want the personal responsibility. We think it's too harsh. We, 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 don't wanna, we just want the magic pill that makes everything right and better, and there is no such thing. There is no such thing. The, the thing that will make everything better and take all of your problems and worries away in Christ is that when we finish our race, either at death or his return, and we see him face to face. That's the finish line. That's the goal. That's when everything gets made right. But until then, we must abide in him. Why? Because if we don't abide in him, what will we do? Instead of slowly but surely becoming more like Christ, we will slowly but surely lose our assurance, lose our hope, be defeated, be uh, totally uh, inept to uh, the work of the Lord, we will be accomplishing nothing. And I'm not talking about works-based salvation, but I'm talking about the works based upon our salvation because of our salvation. We'll just be sitting around existing until we die or Christ comes back, and that's what we're called to do. Jesus came to give life and that they might have it abundantly. That's what he tells us. It does not mean the abundant life every day of Friday, have your best life now, because those things are a joke. What it means is, is that we won't have all the physical things that we want or wish, but it means that we have all of who Jesus is. And therefore, if we have all of who he is at our salvation and in our walk with him, shouldn't he have all of us in that walk as well? We settle too much for giving God just a portion of our time, a piece of our heart, a piece of our mind, a piece of our burden, and not the whole thing. We settle for so much less than what Christ has called us to do. No Christian is to stop growing or abiding. The moment we stop growing and abiding in Him is the moment that we abide in our sinful flesh. It's the moment we stop moving. We stop moving, we start dying. We stop moving forward, we start going backwards. I think about, about uh, playing football, and, and uh, I remember being an offensive lineman or defensive lineman, and basically we're just we're the big old meatheads that just crash into people and you know, try to get everyone else out of the way for the, you know, the athletic kids to <laughs> do stuff with the football. But what we do and what we train to do and what we learn quickly is this. Play until the whistle happens, right? Play till the, you play till the play is over, all right? And I want to stop there for just a moment. Most Christians today, they've heard the whistle, uh, the play clock started, the quarterback, Christ, has said, called in the play, given us a play, start to run the play, the ball's been snapped at our salvation, and we start to go, and the play starts to develop, and then we, you know, get the first hit, and we fall down, and we're done. 
And we just go, oh, it hurt. It's so bad. I wasn't expecting to get hit. This is, this is war. This is football. And then we stop moving. And, and to be honest with you, the ones that win against the linemen here, the offensive linemen, defensive linemen, normally are not even the, the biggest, tallest, or strongest. It's the ones who keep moving, and it's the one who get the right leverage. Right? It's about being, I mean, you've got to be low. You've got to be ready to hit. Y'all don't think I could do that, did you, right? No. <laughs> right? I mean, you, you're ready. You're ready to explode. And I think so many Christians today in our walk with the Lord is we're not ready to explode. We're ready to go sit back on the bench. The bench is comfy. It's got a helmet warmer. It's got Gatorade. Right? That's what we like. Gathering together in, in church is what we might call the bench. It's where we come, we get some Gatorade, we get a pep talk, and we go back out on the, on the field to play. But we didn't come out there to not start. We didn't come out there to, to you know, be a punter or a kicker. Right? We came out to play. Right? We, we came to do battle, to win. And those who win are the ones who play until that play is over. And for you and me, our play, our game is not over until Christ comes back or we kill over. Until then, you've got to keep moving your feet. You've got to hold your ground. You've got to keep pressing. You've got to keep attacking. The team that wins isn't the team that punts every time they go out on the field. It's the team that moves forward and, and scores. You've got to score when, you know, they say the best defense is a good offense. Defense might win championships, but guess what? you still got to score. Let me think about this. So many of us, instead of abiding in him, what we have done is we've abided in church, or we've made the mistake of abiding in a preacher, or we've made the mistake of abiding in an author, or a musician, or abiding in one another, or abiding in our emotions. What it means to abide is that that's your source. That's your, your everything. If you take a rose bush, and I don't know much. I've told you all I'm not a gardener. I don't have, you know, there's plants at my house, but we didn't put them there, all right? <laughs> they look good this year, but they just did their own thing. We didn't have to worry about it. But I do know this much. If you go and cut a, a stem, a rose stem off, right, and you just leave it by itself for a while, what will it eventually do? Well, the rest of y'all are confused like me. Right? It's going to wilt, shrivel up, and die, isn't it? It might look pretty for a little bit, but it will shrivel up and die. What happens is if you leave your source, we start to shrivel up and die, don't we? We might still be a rose, but we've lost our abiding in him. We've lost our source. We've lost the, the, the nutrients of the word and, and of who God is. You are not to leave and to live, excuse me, you're not to live or to lead a Christian life by yourself or through your own strength. If we could be good Christians, then we wouldn't need Christ. That's why we can't be. We need Christ in every walk, in every day, every moment. It is not by your strength or by your power, but it's by abiding in His strength and His power. We talked about this in Ephesians with uh, spiritual warfare, with the issue of that it's through His power, through His might. He tells us, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. To abide in Him. To trusting in Him. Being filled by Him. And then he says, Abide in Him that, 
the word here is the word henna. It is in order that. When you read this, it, it is really, and now little children abide in him in order that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. One commentator writes with this, but whereas there the, uh, there the emphasis was upon remaining in Christ by acknowledging him as the incarnate son, here the thought is rather of a personal relationship with Christ, which has wholesome moral consequences so that henna, the purpose of continuing Christ, when he appears, we, he includes himself, may be confident and unashamed before him. So why do we abide in him? It's for a purpose. Everything in your Christian walk in life and everything that happens to you in your life has a purpose. Now there was, uh, there's been books about the purpose-driven this, the purpose-driven that. Your purpose is only found in abiding in Christ. Outside of that, there, there's nothing. Your whole purpose of your life is to know him and to grow in him so that you might show him to this world. That's it. It's really that simple. And we've complicated church. We've complicated Christianity. We've complicated what it means because we've added our own, like the Pharisees of you've got to do this and this and this. It only means if you're abiding in Christ as long as you're wearing the right clothes, saying the right things, going to the right places, not going to the wrong places, showing up at the right time, helping out church, doing this or that, leading this ministry or that ministry. And guess what? Those things don't add up to abiding in Christ. What those lead up to is someone who's going to be so burned out because they've been trying to do everything in their own strength and their own power to impress other people that they will either quit church or be drawn away to something else or fall from their faith. And it's happening like wildfire today. It's because we've left the simplicity of just abiding in him. The word translated as that shows us in order that. It is to show that we are to abide in him in order that at his return, We are confident, will be confident, and not ashamed. True faith will bring a true confidence. One, a confidence that Jesus loves me, and that he died for me, and that I'm in him. No matter what the world may say, no matter what my flesh may say, or my emotions may say, that if I'm in him, I'm in him. Two, it gives us confidence that not only does he love me and that I'm in him, but it means as well that he is coming back. If we could get those two things and nail them down confidently by true faith, our Christian lives would be made in the shade, but where they're not because we struggle with simply just trusting in the work of Jesus to be enough to save me, keep me saved, to grow, uh, to take me to heaven. We're trusting, well, you know, I trust Jesus and, you know, I, I do all the good things, do all the right things, I don't do the real, real bad things, and, and that's not right. Our assurance comes not from our own assurance, but from the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. And he's mine because I'm his, because he's bought me with a price, and the price was his blood. Then we have the confidence, if we move from that and we get that, and we had the confidence that Christ is actually going to return, boy, would it change how we actually live our lives, wouldn't it? If we actually were confident that we were in Christ and that he's coming back again, everything, and our, our churches would look different. Our homes would look different. Our hearts would be different. I'm talking about my own. So many days we say, well, you know, I I know Jesus loves me. I know he's coming back again. But we don't wake up like John did every day going, this could be the day. This could be the day. Let me live for the glory of God now. 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 
Not tomorrow, not Sunday, not when I feel like it, not when I start to get over myself, but now. Something that has been playing over in my mind, I don't know, don't know where it's come from. I believe it's been of the Spirit to, to show me these things, but there's been many things that as I'm going about my day, either walking through here, praying, or studying, or out and about, or even just at home, or, or, or whatever I'm doing, that the Lord has been going as I'm doing these things, going, is this accomplishing something for the Lord? Is this, is this for you, or is this just for God's glory? What, what is this for? And as well going, is this where you want to be, and this is what you want to be doing? Is this how you want to be thinking? Is this how you want to be living your Christian existence if Christ were to come back right now? Now, some would say, and, and I certainly don't like scare tactics, and I try not to use scare tactics at all, but it should bring about a holy fear knowing that Christ could return, knowing that everything that we do, all that who we are, that everything as we go about our day, that that could be the moment or the hour that Christ comes back, and boy, would we be ashamed. You see, what John is trying to do here is not to scare us into check-marking moralism, but rather to have us abide in Christ so that way when we do abide in Him, we will have confidence when He returns because we've abided in Him and not ourselves. Be confident in and before Christ. Our confidence is in and before Christ and must be in Him alone. Our confidence can't be in the preacher I've only been here a short time, and I've probably let you down, made you mad. If not, give it time. i still got another message to preach this morning. And if that one don't do it, come back tonight. Tonight's Bible Q&A, and I know i got like at least two questions that's bound to make somebody mad. Just think about it. You can't put your confidence in the pastor or the author or the this or the that. You can't put your confidence in your emotions either. Why? Because our emotions go up and down and up and down. Who and where can we put our confidence and our hope in? Only in the same one that saved us. If you put your confidence in anything plus Jesus for your salvation, you can't have confidence. You can't because your confidence is skewed because it's trusting in, well, you know, I know that Jesus died for me, but I, I've got to live this right life in order, to, in order to stay in his good graces. He's not a Roman or a Greek God. He's not a false God who has to be appeased. He's the God who put on flesh to die for your sins and was tempted like we are so that we might trust and put our confidence in Him. Knowing that He understands our hurts, our sorrows, our pains, our ailments, everything. Furthermore, we look and see that our confidence has to only and can only be in Him for everything. Not just for salvation, but for our sanctification. If your confidence for your growth in Jesus is in yourself, then you've got to go back to step one. Your confidence in growing in Christ can't be in your flesh or even your faith, but in Christ alone, in His work alone. This is why the Bible tells us in, over in, in Galatians, and, and we're not getting to a lot of this stuff, and that's fine. Y'all will be okay. I'll be all right too. <laughs> Galatians chapter 2.20 tells us that I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's a paradox. How can I be both dead and alive? It don't happen that way. It is that all of who I was, all of my sin, all of my shame, all that I could have been, all the worst of me, it's been crucified with Jesus. It is the same as saying that my sin nature and my sin debt, as Jesus has nailed to that cross, so is all of who I used to be. Nevertheless, 
I live. But notice this, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. As we are in him positionally because of what he's done for us, not because of what we've done for him, now in our Christian sanctifying walk, our day-to-day trying to be made in the image of Jesus does not happen from your faith or from your good works, but simply from trusting Jesus. It's just simply Jesus. That's it. I I trust that Jesus is going to make me more like him if I abide in him. That's it. It's not going to be because I go to the right church or I wear the right things or I do the right things or I say the right things because I don't do any of those things, right? We, We mess them all up, don't we? It's only because not I, but Christ liveth in me. The word liveth is in the present, which means an ongoing living, meaning that he is living and abiding in me. If I trust and know that Christ is living and abiding in me, that means I should be living and abiding in him. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is Christ who has accomplished our salvation. It is him who has promised to come again for his own. Our confidence even to walk the Christian walk is only to be found in Christ because our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. This Sunday school message goes right along with 1030, so stay for part two, but we've got to abide in Christ. Today, what you need the most is not a self-help or three easy steps. It comes down to this. Abide in Him. If you need to know how to do it, pray, read your Bible, rest in Him, trust Him. Have real faith because it will bring about that real confidence. And then and only then will we live the lives that He's called us to live. Not by your strength, not by your works, but by His strength and His work through us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning. Thank You for this time. Thank You for each one that's here. Lord, I pray that You would help our hearts now and prepare us for the rest of this morning. Lord, that everything that would be said and done and and spoken and sung and and preached this morning, God, would bring You glory and honor, would be focused upon You alone. Lord, I pray that You would help our hearts this morning and as we continue this study to simply abide in You. Lord, that we might get a hold of what it means and that we might daily live by you, through you, and for you. We love you. We thank you for this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your time. We'll pick back up with it next week. So, But if you, if your guy want to pray, meet us over here in the prayer room. We'd love to have you.